Did y'all enjoy that song? Pretty song, right? I tell you, it sets the mood. It really sets the mood. Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Before I start, I want to introduce a parable. I'm sure you most, most of you know this parable. It's found in Scripture. Uh, it's called the Parable of the Talents, and I want to get to one part. So just let me briefly describe and summarize this real quick for you. There was a master, a wealthy master, that was leaving, and he was going to be entrusting three of his servants, uh, servants excuse me, with his wealth. And he divvied it up according to their abilities. So one got five talents, one got three, uh, two, excuse me, one got one. And uh, what happened is with a talent, you have to understand it's a, it's a weight of me- measurement. It's a unit of measurement for gold and silver. And it equals up to 75 pounds a talent. But it's also known to represent extreme wealth, a huge sum of money. So he gave each of these servants their talents according to their abilities, and then he left. And upon his return, he called his servants toward, uh, back to him, and he wanted to basically see how they served him. Did they serve him well? What went on? And two of the three servants served him very well. They invested the money. They, they, they worked the money. In fact, it was 100% return. Even though the quantities were different for each one, their return was great. Their master was very happy. And here's the point. Each of those servants heard these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You guys know that, right? You know that verse. I got to ask you, this is something I desire to hear. This is something I greatly desire to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you guys want to hear that? Wouldn't that be amazing? Jesus Christ himself looking at you and, and, and knowing your whole life, the depths of your heart, and saying those words. Well, Paul is moved by a submissive mind. Paul lives with a submissive mind, and he does very good in describing uh, Christ for us. He's explained uh, the humility of Christ, and he's described the submissive mind through Christ. He's also explained the dynamics through his own experiences, where he's at right now in prison. And now, it's kind of funny, right in the middle of this book, after explaining all these beautiful qualities and characteristics of a Christian, he brings up two helpers. And is he just commending these helpers to the, his audience at Philippi, his readers? Or is it deeper? I'm going to tell you, I suggest it goes much deeper, much deeper. Um, the reason is, and I don't know if you felt this way, just be honest with me, I'll be honest with you. His readers may think that it is impossible to follow the example of Jesus, of you know, such examples of Jesus or Paul himself. I mean, Jesus is the Son of God, right? And Paul is this chosen super apostle. And sometimes as we're living life, we look at these examples and go, how can I ever measure up to this? How can I measure up to this? You know our rough days in our Christian walk. We look to these examples and say, I want to be that, but I'm not. And Paul might have realized that his readers thought the same thing. So he introduces two normal, ordinary servants. We're going to look at Timothy and Epaphroditus today. And with his readers in Philippi, who's going to receive this letter? He wants them to understand that submissive mind, it's not a luxury for just a chosen few. This is a necessity for joy. 
And not only is it a necessity for joy, it is for all believers. This isn't just designated for Paul, this super apostle. It's for all believers. So sometimes when you're living your life and you're looking at scriptures and you need motivation and encouragement, don't sometimes you feel just really small? You're like, man, how can I measure up? Well, we're going to look at two guys today that are very much like you and I, all right? Christ will always be our example in everything, at the forefront of everything. But we get to look at two imperfect servants today that benefit you and I. So if you'll turn to Philippians 2, I'm going to read verses 19 through 30. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. You know, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, unlike him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That is today's text. If you'll allow me, I want to just give you some background information on Timothy before we dive into this. And we're going to basically dissect this scripture today. Timothy uh, lived in a place called Lystra in Derby, And on Paul's first missionary journey, he traveled through this town of Lystra. And most likely, he met a lady named Eunice, which is Timothy's mom, and Lois, his grandmother. We find that in 2 Timothy, he was raised proper. So they may have heard Paul's teaching and had brought up Timothy in this scripture, in the scriptures. So Paul has passed through, and a few years later, he comes back through Lystra, and he meets Timothy. And he looks at Timothy, and he sees that this is a very unique man, a man of character. He realizes that he's been brought up properly in the Scripture. And the biggest thing is he's well spoken of by the brothers. He enters this town, and he's highly spoken of by the brothers there. Now, Paul asked Timothy to join my team, be a part of my staff. I want you to travel with me. So he did travel with him on this second missionary journey. However, Timothy had a Greek father. The mother was Jewish, but the father was Greek. So he never went through the ritual of circumcision, and this had to be done so that Timothy properly could address and teach uh, the Jewish people alongside 
with Paul. They didn't need any excuses to point and blame at Timothy, so he was circumcised. And then he left with Paul on the second missionary journey. And a lot, not a lot is mentioned about him. Some think he wasn't on it, but we find out later in Acts 17 that he was absolutely there. And in our text, we see that he was, his proven worth was in Philippi. They saw him. They knew him. Okay, So he was on Paul's second missionary journey, traveling, learning, growing under the instruction and teaching of Paul. That's where we're at with Timothy, okay? Look at verse 1. I'm so sorry, 19. Look at verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. We have to understand something about Paul. His hope is in the sovereignty of God. When you hear him say hope, trust, anything like that, that is in the sovereignty of God. Paul's plans are in the Lord's hands. They're subject to him. Okay? Paul's plans are just like ours. Even in living and dying, brothers and sisters, it all falls under God's providence. So he was hoping that Timothy going to uh, Philippi would be in the Lord's will for Timothy and poor Paul's plan. He wanted that to be lined up. And he wanted to be cheered of news. This means he wanted to send Timothy as a minister to these people. But he was looking forward to when Timothy would return with good news from Philippi. He wanted Timothy back. And we're going to learn more about why in just a sec. So there's his hope. He wants to be cheered of news, but he wants Timothy to return with that news. And then we get to 20 here. I love this verse. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Those two verses go together. No one. Genuine. I love those words. In the interest of Jesus Christ. I want to read a verse to you from 1 Corinthians. I think Nick's going to put it up for us. 1 Corinthians 4. 17 says this, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Paul taught the gospel of Christ. It never altered. It was the same gospel. He taught it everywhere and in every church. And guess what? Timothy was an exact reminder of that teaching of Paul. He was an apprentice. What he said is what Paul would have said, and vice versa. I love that. Here's another verse in 1 Corinthians 16.10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. He's doing the same work that Paul is. They're not different. They're different people, but they present the same gospel. They do not deviate from that. So Paul is looking around. You know I love to use my imagination, so just go with me here. Can you imagine him looking around at these different uh, leaders, these different ministers in Rome, these Christians, and saying, maybe even asked, would, would you go to Philippi? Would you travel? No, 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 I don't want to travel there. No, that's a long ways off. You know, or maybe he was looking around. You remember how selfish they were, right? Remember the, the group that was against him? They wanted to promote their own ministry by hurting him and afflicting his ministry. So there was a lot of selfishness, and we see this in the text. And Paul's looking around and goes, I got no one but Timothy. 
There is no one who will have genuine concern for you. Why? Because his interests are the interest of Jesus. They're not the interest of Paul. They're not the interest of Timothy. They're not the interest of the Romans or the Philippians. He had a general concern for him, but where did his interest lie? In that of Jesus. We see that in the text. So I want to read something to you. I feel like it parallels a little bit. I want to read it to you. Let me set this verse up first. Um, the Son of Man, this is in Matthew 25, the Son of Man is going to come with the angels and gather the nations and gather the peoples, right? And he's going to begin to separate them like a shepherd would separate sheep and goats. And the sheep are on his right. And this is what he says. He says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we, uh, excuse me, when did we see you hungry? And when do we feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Now this glory, right, this is where Paul and Timothy's interest lied in those of Jesus Christ. Because they knew that their required actions, right? God was requiring action from them, had to fall in this category of you did it to me, you did it for me. We have got to remember these verses. Well done, good and faithful servant. And huh, what you do to the least of one of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we can see that Timothy, both Timothy and Paul, are in line with the interest of God. They had that single-mindedness and purpose. And then I love this. 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. There was no one else to go. Paul knew he had to let his closest confidant, his brother, his son, he had to let him go because there was no one else who would follow through properly with this. And why? He was a son. He was a son. Let me give you the little imagery here of an ancient world. Um, children practice, and mainly sons, practiced the family craft with their father. They learned the family business. And what we see here is Paul saying, as I am his great teacher and instructor, this is my apprentice who I am raising up. And guess what he would become? Not only would he be a son or a brother to Paul, he'd be Paul's substitute. He'd be Paul's replacement at some point. He was raising this man up. He was his apprentice. And he proved his worth. He was tested. And he was proven, right? Let me just stop for a second, because this is something that drives me berserk. Maybe you too. In our world, I've seen it several times in, in the years I've been alive. In our world... And praise God, some, uh, a celebrity, someone of a celebrity status will come to know Christ and become a Christian. And you'll see the difference night and day from the way they lived before and, and now what they're confessing. 
And praise God that they become a Christian, but the problem is they try to use their celebrity status, that platform, to jump into evangelism, to jump into ministry without having any knowledge of God or any roots. It's like a tree whose branches stretch as far as they possibly can. I want the world to see that I'm a Christian. This is the new me, and I'm going to use this platform, but they have no roots. What happens when a tree's branches are bigger than its roots? It topples. It falls. And we've seen this over and over again. You've got to have roots. Eunice and Lois were raising Timothy and Lystra in growing roots. Timothy took Paul, I mean, excuse me, Paul took Timothy, and again, these roots were growing larger and larger. This is why his worth was proven. He was tested and he was proven. Listen, guys, the submissive mind is not going to come from a sermon. You're not going to get it from me today from a sermon. You're not going to get it from a week-long seminar. You're not going to get it from a weekend retreat. How we come to the submissive mind is it grows in us as we yield to the Lord, right? As we yield to the Lord and seek to serve others. It's a process. You don't have automatic growth. It grows in you as you yield to the Lord and seek to serve others. And Timothy was proving this over and over alongside with Paul in this ministry. So, he says, I hope, therefore, again, I hope, what's that? The sovereignty of God, right? I hope it's God's plans. I hope, therefore, to send, to him, uh, send him as soon as I see how it will go with me. Let me explain go with me for a second. You know what the bottom line is here? Paul needed Timothy. Paul needed Timothy. Let's put ourselves in a jail cell or a tiny rented house chained to a guard. Okay, picture it. Everybody with me? There are people that can bring you care packages and provision. There are people that can come and visit with you. Now, I want to ask you, you going to call a stranger from the street, somebody random? Hey, just pick anybody. Or we want to want the closest people in our lives right there at our side to talk to. I'm going to want my wife and my children there. If I'm, right? if I'm chained up, I need to talk to them. Why? Because I love them so much and we're so close. You'd want your spouse You'd want your children. Those that you love so much is who you'd want right by your side. And that's what Paul wanted. He loved Timothy, and Timothy loved him. It was hard, but guess what? Paul was selfless. He was going to let this person he desperately needed in this time go because the church in Philippi needed to be ministered to. He was going to be selfless in this. And then he says, I trust, right? Let's look at that last verse. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And Paul thought that he would be released, and of course he would. He was, excuse me. But he was trusting in the Lord again. God, this is in your hands. We've all sang this song. God, right, he's got the whole world in his hands. He had Paul, he had his circumstances, he had Timothy. Everybody was in God's hands in this, and he was trusting that he too would be able to visit these people. That's our servant Timothy. And then he moves on to Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus, we might be able to see ourselves more in him. You know who he was? He's only mentioned in this book. He was a church member. He was you. He was a church member. But I got to tell you, let's look at this. Look at 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my, uh, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, this is a powerful verse. 
This is a powerful verse. You're in uh, Philippians. Just everybody flip to 1.5. Just look real quick. Flip over to 1.5. It says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul calls him my brother because he has fellowship with him. We see it in this verse. We've partnered together from the first day until now. Look at verse 112. Everybody look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Epaphroditus was a fellow worker. He was in the mix with the furtherance of the gospel, right? And 127, again, this is the verse that I think defines church. Verse 27 in chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He is a fellow soldier. Picture standing side by side, fighting for the faith. He's a fellow soldier. And of course, he brought news to Paul. He was a messenger. He brought news of the church. And he was a minister to his need. He brought this gift. He brought this care package and monetary gift to Paul. Now, let's not dismiss this for a second. Let's not miss this. Guys, Philippi and Rome were 800 plus miles away. Okay? It's a six to seven week journey on foot. I don't know what route he took, but I looked at several routes, and I'm going to tell you they're all six to seven weeks long on foot. 800 plus miles. Not only that, you got to think of the elements that he had to endure. And robbers. You guys know robbery was a huge thing back then, right? People would lie in wait along the sides of the roads, and then they would jump fellow travelers, strip them of their clothing, they would take their money. A good Samaritan is a, is a very uh, a good illustration of that. So this man was putting himself at risk. Not for the interest of Paul, not for the interest of Timothy or the church. His interests were in those of Jesus, and he was serving in this travel, if you will, to Rome. Let's go to the next verse. Actually, you know what? Stop for a sec. I want to say something about this. This is important. This is important. As I was studying this week, I kept going over these five beautiful aspects of a Christian, a brother and sister, right? A fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister. And I said, there's so much balance here. I'm seeing so much balance within this man. And it reminded me of Nehemiah, and I'll get to him in a second, but balance is important for a Christian. You know, some Christians, I've known some in my past, they emphasize fellowship over the furtherance of the gospel, the faith. Fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. And there's some who say, no, we only defend the faith. And they don't, they neglect fellowship at all together, okay, with other believers. Um, it can't be one or the other. It needs to be a, a nice balance. There's a story in the Old Testament, and I like the story of Nehemiah. There's a story where he is allowed to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Yet there's outside enemies that are wreaking havoc on this crew that wants to rebuild, driving them crazy. So he found balance in his one, as one person worked rebuilding, another stood guard. It got to the point where Nehemiah was building with one hand and holding a sword in the other. 
is you can't fight with a trowel, but you can fight with the sword. You can't build with a sword, but you can fight with a trowel. You see, both are needed for the work of God. For the work of the Lord, both are needed. There's our balance. And I just thought that was a wonderful illustration of who Epaphroditus was and that balance and that mix. And Paul identified all those wonderful qualities. But there was a problem. Epaphroditus got really, really ill. I don't think it was COVID. But he got really, really ill. And I don't know if it was on his journey there or if he had gotten sick when he arrived. But it says... Right here in 26, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. See, he was suffering for God. Do you realize somebody else could have had this same exact illness somewhere, living for themselves, but had that illness? They're not suffering for God. Why is Epaphroditus suffering for God? Because suffering that comes on the path of obedience to Christ is suffering for Christ. Epaphroditus opened himself up to the risks of this travel, but could the concern, he had concern for the other believers over himself. Let's understand this for a second. By the time Paul is writing this letter, he, God has had mercy on him. He's saved. He's healed. But somehow the people heard he was sick, and I'm not sure how that happened, but they heard he was sick. By the time they're hearing that, he's better. But he was near death for the sake of Christ, for the work of Christ. That is suffering for Christ. He took the risks because his interests were in Jesus. But God had mercy on him. Again, like I said, by the time they heard he was ill, and this was his concern, he was more concerned for them being concerned about him. Again, you can see the character of this servant. But God's mercy healed him. Now, I want to talk about apologetics for a minute. I think most of you know I'm an apologist by heart. I love apologetics. That is defending the faith. That is being able to argue with, let's say, like a non-believer, an atheist, an agnostic, and proving Scripture, proving God to be real, okay? Or at least making the attempt, whether they believe it or not, the Holy Spirit will deal with them. So, there is no miracle here apart from God, right? Follow me. Can't Paul heal? Haven't you heard about Paul healing? He's a great healer. But did Paul heal Epaphroditus? He did not. In fact, Paul had anxiety. Now for me, this makes me jump up and down because this proves the validity of the Bible. Some people think the Bible is a supernatural highlight reel. Just can't, it can't be real. Virgin birth, resurrection, people raised from the dead. You know, it can't be real. And here we have one of the greatest evangelist missionaries of all time who had God's power within to heal. And he's saying, look right here. And did, indeed, he was ill, verse 27, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. He had mercy on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Here's the thing. This shows Paul in a real light. Paul was chained. It was God who healed Epaphroditus and brought mercy on him. Probably by natural processes, he was healed. And I love that Paul revealed this, because if there was a miracle, he would have written about that miracle. But he says, I was anxious. I had anxiety. I was worried about sorrow upon sorrow. What sorrow upon sorrow means is he was already in prison. He was in prison, and he was worried about the death Epaphroditus. Why? Because he'd be losing a friend. He'd be losing a brother. 
the church in Philippi would be losing a valuable member, all because he was exposed to the dangers and the elements of this journey. This work for Christ is why he was ill, because of his service. He was suffering for God. And it shows, I love, the same thing happened, hey guys, when Christ was killed on that cross, the same thing shows the reality of the Bible. What happened to all the disciples? They ran in fear. But then once Christ came and appeared to them, what happened? There was this switch that was flipped. They were bold. They had changed. They were all martyred for the faith. See, it shows the reality and the validity of the Bible. It's not all just perfect and great and awesome. Look, here's Paul suffering. Here's Paul worried about a brother. Paul didn't heal him. It was God. I just want to point that out, that our, our Bible is absolutely living. It's the living Word of God. It's absolutely real. And these kind of verses expose that for us, that wisdom. And now, that, now listen, I'd be the same way. I don't know about you. Epaphroditus is good. He's good to go. He's healed. And now it says in 28, Hey, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul's showing the vulnerability here. Hey, he's better. I am sending him back to you right now while he's in his prime. He's coming back, and you are going to rejoice when you see him because he served you well. He served me. He served the interests of God. He's healed. I want him to get back so you can rejoice over him. And listen, I need you to honor this man for what he did. Such men deserve honor. So you should be joyous and you should be rejoicing. And I'm going to be much less anxious once he leaves, and I know he's back with you. That's how Paul felt. It was the reality of Paul's heart. He wanted this man back with his family. He had served so well. See, <clears throat> look at that last verse, because some people think this is mean. But let me, let, let, me, let me go over it. In 29, he says, To receive him, the Lord, in the Lord, <clears throat> with all joy and honor, such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let me explain lacking. Epaphroditus absolutely was risking his life. But Paul wasn't saying, listen, Philippian believers, he wasn't saying you were indifferent to me or you were inattentive. He wasn't pointing blame. He was saying that there was no opportunity for you to send me relief. There was no opportunity. Had Paul been in the area, the general area, or in Philippines, they would have gladly handed over this care package, this gift. Gladly. But he was 800 plus miles away. There was no one to do it. Epaphroditus stepped out and made this journey for his church, for Paul's uh, need, because of his interest in Jesus Christ. Could you imagine, <coughs> excuse me, could you imagine me saying to one of you guys, hey, I need someone to go 800 plus miles today. It's going to take you six, seven weeks to get there, but we have a monetary gift we've collected, and there's a church in need, and I need somebody to take it. 800 miles. I know for some of you truck drivers, that's nothing. That's a drop in a bucket, right? But that's a long way. Epaphroditus stepped out in faith and service to Jesus. Now look, let's talk about both of them. You know where both these servants lived? Do you know where they camped out? Do you remember verse 121? Verse 121 says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's where they lived, both of them. And we can contrast that with what? Philippians 2.21. 
Philippians 2.21 says, For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Both of these servants lived for Christ and sought His interest. Now, while this letter has its own purposes of updating the Philippian believers on practical matters, I get that. God is good to give us imperfect but important real-life examples of Christ-likeness, especially in attitude and in action, for us to observe and for us to imitate. And it's all about the mission. I've got to stress this real quick. The underlying current through this whole book of Philippians, this whole passage, is that Paul is on a mission. Even in jail, chained, he's on a mission. Timothy being there ministering to him, as well as those people in Rome, and about to head to Philippi, he is on a mission. Epaphroditus setting, trekking all those miles from Philippi to uh, Rome, he was on a mission. Each and every one of them were participants in this mission for Jesus Christ. They were in it. Connections is learning discipleship right now. We are learning to be disciples. And one of the things I've stressed over and over and over about who a disciple is or what a disciple is is that they participate in Jesus' mission for the world. See, Paul was participating in that mission. Timothy was. Epaphroditus was. You and I are called to participate in that mission. We're all part of this. We're all part of this. And there's value. There's value in this. Only if we act. That may sound harsh, but listen to me. The Bible presents us lessons and learning, and it's great value. But all of this teaching requires a specific action. It's not just to read and put down, that was delicious, that was great, that was a good read. We are to act upon His Word, to be doers of His Word, and there is a required action for everything we study and what we read. As balanced Christians, as brothers and sisters, as workers, as soldiers, as messengers, right? As ministers, we are to be balanced in this as we act upon God's Word for our lives. And a huge part of this balance is in service, in service, and that comes through the submissive mind that we've, it's been displayed and illustrated here by Epaphroditus and by Timothy. They had a genuine concern for others because of their interest in Jesus Christ. Because they were seeking the interest of Jesus, this genuine concern for others was absolutely real. They were brothers and sisters. They were workers. They were soldiers. They were messengers. They were ministers. All for what? Not the work of Paul, right? Not the work for the Philippian church, for the work of Christ. It always comes back to Jesus. Our service, our interest, always come back to Jesus. Please let me read you something. We had, an, uh, we had a missions conference. And by the way, missions committee, if there's anybody here for the missions committee, thank you for those classes. Remember those classes we did on that Saturday and we could jump from room to room? Well, I went to the Underwoods, and uh, it was Denise Brooks' son and daughter-in-law, and they were reading from this book called Every Moment Holy, Volume 1, and I loved it. It's liturgies and prayers. And I loved it. So I asked for it for Christmas. I got it for Christmas. I want to read something. Uh, It's a beautiful little prayer about 
serving others. It's really great. Let me read it to you. O Christ, who made himself the servant of all, I would set my heart and my affections upon you and upon you alone, for I can only serve others rightly when such service is undertaken from first to last as an act of devotion offered to you. In serving you, I am freed from my need for the praise of others, so that even if my kindnesses are shed from the scarred hearts as rain from a sloped tin roof, my joy will not be dimmed, for I will know that you have received and remembered each act of sacrifice and reckoned it as a love rendered to you. So let, me, uh, let my love be sincere and let my service be fearless, O Lord. I would serve in imitation of you who poured out your life for me. I would serve knowing that your spirit is ever at work in the lives of those I serve, ever calling, ever drawing, ever seeking to soften hearts encased in fear and disappointment and anger and idolatry. So let my kindnesses and sacrifice fall like warm shafts of sunlight on icy ground. I cannot know the end of another person's story. Our lives so often only briefly intersect. So let me be be content to minister regardless of visible outcomes, trusting that the small mercies I extend will be woven into the larger theme of redemption at work in the lives of others as you woo them to yourself, drawing their hearts and grace is offered and shaping my own heart too in the process of learning to serve well and by learning to serve well, learning to love well. Amen. Beautiful liturgy about serving others. See, God remembers and receives our acts in service. Our acts in sacrifice. You remember Matthew 25? Matthew 25 says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Let it be love rendered to God. Right? Let our actions... In our deeds, let it be love rendered to God. Let the things that matter, guys, not even, it doesn't matter how small, let them be woven into the larger theme that is a God's sovereign plan. Learning to serve well helps us in learning to love well. And that is seeking the interests of Jesus. See, we are all participants in this mission. So in serving each other, right, in serving each other, We are serving God himself, which brings me to what we said in the beginning. We all want to stand before God one day and say, or hear, excuse me, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word today, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord, that your word strikes our heart, Lord, and impacts our heart greatly. Father, we pray that we act upon your word today. You've given us two wonderful, normal, ordinary, everyday men in Timothy and Aphrodite for us to look to as examples. Lord, we can see the submissive mind in both these men. We can see the actions that result from that submissive mind. Lord, we are all called as disciples. We are all called to be ministers of your word. Help us seek you and your interest alone first and foremost. Always let us seek your interest alone. 
because we know in doing so, Lord, that we become servants that are exactly what you're looking for. When we seek you first, Lord, we learn to love and serve others better. When we yield to your word first, we learn to serve others submissively, Father, and humbly. And we're, we're, we're desiring that, Father. We want to love you, and we want to serve you properly, Father. Everybody here understands that they will stand before you one day. No one escapes that. No one. And Father, we know that you have reward waiting for us. But the first thing, Lord, that would be so great to hear is to lock eyes with you and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what we desire, Lord. That's our end. So help us with the means, Lord. Help us grow constantly, yielding to your word and serving others, Father, with a submissive mind. That's what we're praying for today. Father God, we just love you and we thank you for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you will, please stand with us as we sing verse 4 of Crown Him with Many Crowns. Brother Bentley. Uh, there he is, Brother Bentley.